Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Norm Rodich, and I am the chair of the California Lawyers Association Litigation Section Education and Programs Committee. I'm the host of today's episode, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting in Monterey, California. Joining me now, I have Jennifer Keller of Keller Anderley in Irvine, and Thomas Green, who is the chair of the litigation section executive committee. Before we get to our topics, uh, let me ask our guests a little bit more about themselves. Jennifer, can you tell me where you work and what you do? Yes, I'm a partner at Keller Anderley in Irvine, which is a 16-person firm. We try cases. We don't call ourselves litigators. We're trial lawyers. And uh, I've been a lawyer for 41 years now, have loved almost every minute of it, and really enjoy the young people I'm working with now. Tom, what do you do when you're not volunteering as the chair of the litigation section executive committee? I love litigation, and I'm a trial attorney with the antitrust division of the U.S. Department of Justice. So I both prosecute cases and litigate civil cases on behalf of the public. Terrific. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, two topics today on this uh, broadcast. First, we're going to talk about the continuing education program that... Uh, Jennifer just presented here at the annual meeting, and then we're going to talk to Tom a bit about uh, section updates and what's on the horizon with the litigation section. Today, Jennifer, your topic was being human, building a relationship with your jurors, which was one of our Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame series presentations. Uh, what do you mean by being human? What I mean by being human is trying to unlearn some of the things we were taught in law school, which is to think like a lawyer. Because thinking like a lawyer means thinking in a linear way from point A to point B to point C, being rule-bound, statute-bound, and that's not how jurors think. Jurors react emotionally. They want to be part of something larger than themselves. They want to do justice. They want to feel that, uh, that, that, that they're important. And if you're going to do that, being a human being is much more important than having the right lineup of statutes, cases, and evidence. What do you think that jurors are looking for when they look at the lawyers uh, before them in a court case? Jurors think lawyers know, quote, what really happened, unquote. And so they're looking for which of the lawyers they can trust. They really believe that you have the answers. And if you treat them with respect and honesty, if you treat witnesses and the judge with respect and honesty, if you are a caring person, if you make it clear you're caring, if you're empathetic toward them during voir dire, toward the witnesses on the stand, they start to relate to you. They start to develop a relationship with you. And they're more likely to believe you if you're honest, if you're not trying to trick them, uh, for example, by showing one half of a document when the other half of the document is bad for your case. And if you're, if you're just a genuine person, a genuine human being. You talked a little bit about voir dire and how to approach that. What are your thoughts on that topic? Well, voir dire is your first chance to have a relationship with the jurors. You're speed dating. You can't ever charm people into believing something that is against their basic core principles because of how handsome or beautiful or charming you are. 
what your goal is in voir dire is to find out who these people are. Who are the good ones for you? Who are the one, bad ones for you? And who are the ones in the middle who can be persuaded by an advocate juror? So you want to ask open-ended questions. You want to empathize. You want to listen to them. If you're trying an employment discrimination case, and I saw this happen recently, where the jurors were asked, did they have any experience with people who had been the victims of, of employment discrimination? And one woman said, yes. My daughter was treated very unfairly, consistently harassed. She finally just broke down, became clinically depressed, left her job, and committed suicide. And the lawyer's response was, okay, thanks. Anybody else? He didn't even say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so terribly sorry. That must have been a horrible experience for you. So you can well imagine how the other jurors reacted to him. You talked about... uh that's a very moving story. You talked about uh, the importance of being considerate, which is a, a related topic. You talked about knowing your audience, simplifying, basically trying to, uh, I guess, help the, help the prospective jurors to understand where you're going. Did you want to comment on your thoughts on that issue? I think you're most effective if you're a teacher, because these jurors are coming in not knowing anything about your case, anything about the law. They're expected to master concepts that took many of us a year in law school to master, which I often tell the jurors. <laughs> we understand that, that it's, it's hard, but it can be done. But you, you want to teach them. You want to try your case through cross, through direct, and then develop a relationships of trust so that at the end of the case, when it comes time for closing argument, Presumably, most of them have already made up their minds, but you want your advocate jurors to get the rest of them on board. Then you want to teach them by going over jury instructions and verdict forms and explaining that to them in a way that makes sense and, and in a way that they trust. You mentioned an example from your famous MGA versus uh, Bratz doll case. Did you want to talk about that? Um, yeah. We were... There, there was a doll designer named Carter Bryant who had, Mattel's theory was that Carter Bryant had designed these dolls while he was a Mattel employee on Mattel's time and then had gone to MGA and brought the stolen trade secrets with him. MGA denied that, and Carter Bryant said he had designed them on his own time between jobs. So my colleagues felt, I came into the case 12 days before trial, kind of the last minute, and my colleagues felt that we should take the position that Carter Bryant was telling the truth, but if he wasn't, MGA was a victim too. And I described that as being, I didn't do it, but if I w- did do it, I was insane. Uh, it's, it's not a good way to try a case. And so I said, no, I want to hold off, and I want to see what Carter Bryant looks like. When he came into the courtroom, this is a retrial, um, I could see he was kind of a broken man. And after being spun around for seven days on cross by his, our opposing counsel, he was, he was almost willing to say anything just to get off the stand. And so rather than pursuing the strategy I had been coached to pursue, I started asking him about his experiences. He seemed very depressed. He was. It turned out that after Mattel sued him, he was unemployable. He had become radioactive to other toy companies. He had lost all his money. He had lost his partner, who he loved. He had lost 70 pounds. He was under a doctor's care and on medication just to get through the trial. And I very gently questioned him about all that, telling him I didn't want to open him up to a new round of subpoenas, but I 
we wanted to understand where he was coming from. And toward the end of my examination, which was not seven days, he began to cry, and I looked over and saw three of the jurors crying. That was fairly early in the case, and at that point I knew that Mattel was in trouble. Another topic you covered was opening statement, and you emphasized the importance of telling a story. And you gave an example of an oral partnership case that I thought was interesting. Yeah, it, it, frequently I see lawyers try cases and they stand up, especially in cases that are sort of inherently a little bit dry, and they deliver these emotionless um, scripts that put the jurors to sleep. And so my example was the difference between saying, ladies and gentlemen, my client had an oral partnership. My client, David Garcia, had an oral partnership with Max Jones. And pursuant to that oral partnership, there were certain terms. And for 40 years, the, that partnership was honored. And, but then my client's partner breached his fiduciary obligations to my client and began to, okay, you're bored, you're ready to go to sleep, you've had it. The difference between that and saying, David Garcia is a family man. He loves his family. He spends all the time he can with them. But there's somebody he spent even more time with over the last decades. The man who was the best man at his wedding, his best friend, the godfather to his children. A man he trusted more than anyone in the world. And that man was his business partner. Because of that trust, they had a handshake agreement. Their partnership agreement was never even reduced to writing. So you can imagine the shock that overtook him when this trusted friend betrayed him and began stealing from the company they founded together. This, is, this case is a story of that betrayal. Now the jurors are sitting forward in their seats. They want to hear what's going to happen next. They're, they're drawn into the story. It's a human saga. It's not about dry partnership terms at all. Another point that you brought up that I thought was uh, worth noting is don't overload it. No, opening statement is, is, is a story. It's the framework of the story. You're painting a picture and you're putting a frame around the picture. The rest of the trial is filling in the frame, filling in the picture, coloring it, adding detail. If you do too much in opening statement, the jurors are going, you're going to lose them. They can't absorb it. They haven't been living it like you have. They don't know every detail. They're, they're going to get overwhelmed, and then when people are overwhelmed, what do they do? They shut down. So keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. Tell your story and fill it in as you go through the evidence. You also talked about uh, closing, and if you could give us uh, a synopsis of your points uh, on that critical topic, uh, we'll wind it up. I think by closing argument, the jurors know which way they want to vote, especially your advocate jurors. And you now want to give them the tools to do that. You want to be a teacher. You want to go through the jury instructions. You want to go through the verdict forms. You want to show them any traps for the unwary. If, if a poison pill has been inserted in a jury verdict form, you want to tell them that. You want to say, ladies and gentlemen, take a look at number 18. That's a trap for the unwary. If you, feel, if you check the yes, here's what's going to happen. And explain it to them. You want them to know that at this point you're all in it together. It's a we. It's not I and you. It's we. We are in this to see justice done. We are all here together to see that the right thing happens. And if at all possible, you should have already conveyed the message and drill at home that this is about something larger than themselves. 
in big cases, big cases where there's, a, say, a lot of media attention, I like to tell the jurors that they're standing in for all their fellow citizens, that the two greatest American democratic institutions are the ballot box and the jury box, and they are representing the rest of their fellow citizens. So what's the question, what's the answer? Is a larger corporation going to be allowed to crush its small competitor, or do we want American business to operate in the competitive way it always has that's made it the greatest business climate in the world? And the same in criminal cases. Do we want the police to have unbridled discretion to do anything they want with no consequences, or do we want to hold them accountable? They're standing in for their fellow citizens. And several jurors have told me after that that it wasn't until then that they really felt the weight of their responsibility. Jennifer, one of the other points that you made that I thought was excellent is uh, that you make it a practice to always thank your entire trial team uh, at the end of your closing. You acknowledge all the people that helped, your, your assistants, the uh, people who put up your trial graphics, everybody. And I thought that was an excellent uh, idea. And I want to thank you on behalf of the litigation section for uh, speaking today because it was a tremendous presentation and you talked about being human and you the reason that you're a great trial lawyer is very clear because you are a very genuine terrific person that came through today and I'm sure that's why it comes through to the jurors and that you've uh, had the successes that you've had so thank you very much uh, Tom let me turn to you uh, what's on the horizon for the litigation section Coming soon will be actually tomorrow evening, or actually uh, over the weekend, we're going to give out uh, and induct one of the best trial lawyers in California into the Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame. Um, this is our highest honor. It honors the best litigators in the state of California, and the best litigators in California are the best lawyers and litigators in America. Happily, uh, Jennifer has already been inducted into the Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame, so she is actually among the best of the best. And we're just very pleased that she's with us this time, sharing her perspectives with uh, the section and with a broader family of lawyers that attends the annual meeting. But coming up soon for us, we've got, uh, we just had our uh, litigation and appellate summits. We had uh, one of the Associate Justices of the California Supreme Court speak at lunch. We had Bob Van Est, who was also inducted into the Trial Lawyer Hall of Fame uh, last year. He spoke on opening statements, we had judges, we had uh, technologists all providing information. That was a very exciting event. It's now available uh, online, so we will be doing these in the form of webinars. So the programs that we were able to present in Los Angeles a month ago, we're now going to be able to present them online. Coming up beyond the webinar scene is uh, what we've we're thinking about calling the one and done program in January. So we're looking at a major program January 24th in San Diego. Uh, you can get all of your mandatory ethics credits, the mandatory you know, anti-discrimination credits, and the mandatory competency credits all in one place. You're out the door. You're finished with all your MCLE requirements. So there's all kinds of great stuff. And then also in January, you should see um, our year in review program, our year in review publication, which really catches uh, litigators up on all of the key developments for 1919. So a big slate ahead with more to follow in 2020. Tom, I did want to uh, emphasize that uh, 
litigation and appellate summit, and I wanted to mention that really that was your your brainchild, and uh, you came up with that a couple of years ago, and now it's really one of our signature events at the litigation section. Oh, it's thank you, Norm. I mean, I thought we needed a marquee program because uh, we are the barristers of California, so I think that this turned out really well for all of us, and we had people like yourself helping us do that. So really it was a big deal and a, a family effort, frankly. Anything else uh, that's uh, coming up that you wanted to mention? Nope, I think we're good. Lots to check out. Well, you can also check us out on the CLA website. You can join the litigation section there. If you are a California lawyer, when you get your bar dues statement, you'll be able to check off, pay us a, a very small amount of money and join the litigation and take advantage of all these programs. That's exciting times with the uh, new California Lawyers Association and all the uh, exciting things that we're doing at the litigation section. So, Tom, thank you for all you do on behalf of the section, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Jennifer, thank you again for an excellent presentation today. And Thanks, Norman. We'd be very thrilled to have you anytime you want to speak. It looks like we've reached the end of our road uh, today for this episode. I want to thank our guests uh, both again for joining us. Uh, if our listeners have questions or wish to follow up, uh, Jennifer, how can they reach you? You can reach me at jkeller at kelleranderle.com, K-E-L-L-E-R-A-N-D-E-R-L-E.com, or our phone number, 949-476-8700. Tom, uh, litigation section, do you happen to know the website as we're sitting here? Just Google CLA litigation section, and you'll go straight there on the first shot. Also, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Norm Rodich. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.